morning. I am delighted to be with you and to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, if you are new, I am especially delighted that you're here with us. And if you're new and you like what you hear this morning, if the sermon is good, then my name is Pastor Steve. But if you don't, my name is Pastor Rick. I'm just kidding, just kidding. No, I am delighted to be with you. We're going to uh, spend some time in the book of Galatians again. We are almost finished. We are close to wrapping up. You don't want to miss next week. Pastor Rick will be finishing up. It's, I assume it's something like the last episode of Ted Lasso. You know, you, you, you see a great joy in it that, that this wonderful book has come to an end for us. But at the same time, there's great sorrow that, unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to past sermons to get the reruns because uh, they don't just appear on Apple TV for you uh, on demand. But uh, we are delighted to be finishing up and, and moving to another book, another topic in God's Word. Um, to remind you, for those who have not listened to every single sermon uh, in rerun, um, we covered the book of Galatians, and there are a few topics that were covered. Pastor Rick mentioned those in the newsletter this past week. But, uh, but one of those is Jesus plus anything is nothing. And that is that the idea being that if, if we want to add or need to add something to what Christ has done, what Jesus has done for us, then actually we take away from the work that Christ has done for us. And actually... We eliminate what Christ has done for us. And so the book is dealing with the people of Galatia who are being taught by these false teachers this idea that culture or this idea that circumcision or all that the, the Old Testament was teaching needs to also be put into place. And what Paul is saying, listen, without Jesus and only Jesus alone, you cannot indeed be saved. He also covers off the idea of the, uh, that which is biblical and that which is gospel are two different things. And that is the idea that, that just because something is, is taught in the scriptures without the fullness of what's an intended taught, what its intention is, that what is taught, it falls flat. And that is the things of the past of the Old Testament that these teachers were trying to get the people of Galatia to to hold to, to hold fast to, the idea was, yes, indeed, the people of Israel prior to Jesus' coming, indeed, that was something that God used for his people, but it is no longer necessary since Christ is the fulfillment of that which was being taught in the Old Testament. We also touched on we need Jesus. We always need Jesus. There's never a time and never a place and never a circumstance in which we don't need Jesus. And finally, we live out Jesus in community. We, we touched on that last week. If you were here with Scott, Reverend Scott, he, he went through that. And we, we see how what, what is taught in the early parts of the book manifests themselves in our community and amongst one another. And we live that out in community. And we're going to focus on a certain particular aspect that Paul's going to teach in this text, in community. So, out of respect for God's word, if you would be so kind as to stand 
and I will read God's Word to us. If you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to one to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful Father, I pray that you would bring forth your word to our hearts. Father, that we would see wisdom in your word and we would know how to use it in the life that you have given to us, that we might indeed find joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those who know me, you you might know that I like to start off with a story, and in this case, I'm going to start off with a bit of a story about my mother. My mother grew up in a small town in western Kentucky called Hartford, and it was a very small town, actually, outside the town, right as you, you rode through the one street that went through the middle of the town, there was a sign, a big sign, and it said, Hartford, Kentucky, home to 2,000 happy people and a few sore heads. (laughs) This town was uh, quite small. It was about an hour and a half outside of Owensboro, Kentucky, and most of you probably never heard of that either, and it is a rather large town in Kentucky. But in this town, I am convinced, in Hartford, Kentucky, I am convinced that everybody spoke in terms of sayings, American sayings. Now, why do I say that? It's because my mom... For whatever circumstance there was, seemed to have a saying to fit that circumstance. So, things like idle hands are the devil's workshop. You're a day late and a dollar short. They were born with a silver spoon in their mouths. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. A zebra doesn't change its stripes. This one is good because this is the one my mom would say to me all the time when I got into trouble, which was a lot. You must pay the piper. I didn't understand that one, and every time she said it, I said, who is the piper that I am supposed to pay? But my favorite that my mom always used was, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Except for the fact... Except for the fact that's actually not in the Bible for those who may not know that that saying is not there. I can only imagine what it would be like walking down Main Street of Hartford, Kentucky. You know, you're walking down the street. Picture this for me. I'm going to act this out a little bit. You're, you're walking down the street and you see two people and one of them is Bill and, and George. And George says, morning, Bill. A penny for your thoughts? Morning, George. Penny saved is a penny earned. Well, it's darkest before the dawn. So true, Bill. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Good talking to you, George. 
Don't let the grass grow under your feet, Bill. I mean, seriously, it seems like that's all they talked about were sayings. But there are many times in my youth I did not understand these sayings. Many times my mom used them, and I didn't get what she meant. I think that's true of a lot of expressions. A part of our speech is full of sayings that we struggle to get their meaning because sometimes they're just understood within the context of where we come from or what we talk about. And so when we say them to others, we're not sure what the saying means. Some sayings are straightforward and simple, and others we must dig deeper to understand their intended meaning. Our text today centers around one of those such phrases. We reap what we sow. We'll spend our time this morning really focused on verses 7 through 10. But briefly, let me put into context verse 6. Verse 6, uh, and the, the point of verse 6, is for the church to financially support the pastors and the teachers of the church so that they can focus on their teaching and shepherding of God's people. That's what he's saying directly. But it, doesn't it seem weird? It's a weird spot for this. But in Paul's view, not so much. Because in the previous section, Paul was talking about the bearing of one another's burdens in community. So verse 6 is a transition from one manifestation of the bearing of the burdens to another. And so in doing so, he wanted to remind the church of Galatia to help bear the burdens of those who are called to the task of full-time pastoral ministry. Some scholars argue that this verse really belongs in the previous section. Some argue that it belongs in the section we're on today. But whether it does or it doesn't, I don't think pays no never mind. Again, using one of my mom's phrases. It's a transition verse, moving us from one way in which the community loves one another to another way in which community loves one another. Remember that these verses come from the argument that Paul has been making in the church of Galatian freedom in Christ. In particular, freedom to live as Jesus lives in community. Even more particular, here he addresses how to live in freedom as we serve one another. As a reminder, freedom to live is to live the life that we were intended for as we were indeed created to live for, in relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. To serve one another. The word serve can seem very negative in our world today, almost scary. It is a word that needs to be unpacked. But that is not new. For Paul knew himself that it was a necessary thing to unpack what he was talking about. And so in verses 6, 7 through 10, he begins to unpack this idea. Here he is saying, here's the saying that we've been waiting for. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he excuse me, also reap. Why does Paul add the first part of that verse? Why didn't he just jump into the saying, we reap what we sow? He sets it up. 
he sets it up with something that seems rather odd. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. He does so, I think, for three reasons. First of all, he is calling us back to chapter 5. Remember that Paul talked about the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. As Paul discussed in that sermon, as Rick discussed in that sermon a few weeks ago, the flesh is the idea of a sinful nature. It doesn't mean actual skin. It means the sinfulness of who we are, who we have fallen to be. It is the way that we live without being in a redeemed relationship with God through faith in Jesus. It is the normal and natural behaviors that come, or, or the normal and natural behaviors that come from this are listed. If you recall in chapter 5, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. A rather extensive list. Pastor Rick did a great job of explaining this, and so I won't indeed rehash it. Now, I, I, honestly, I say, I hope he's listening, that I said he did a great job. So can you put that on my performance review for me? Thank you. No need to rehash it. But honestly, if you don't remember it or don't believe it, all you need to do is pick up any newspaper or in our more modern age, read any news feed and you will see the fruits or the work of the flesh listed out for you. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit mentioned here, the third person of the Godhead works through the Christian to produce behaviors, thoughts, and actions of the fruit of the Spirit. Again, in chapter 5, to remind you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are indeed the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, since God is the one that produces the fruit, he cannot be deceived. He will know whether what we do is real fruit from him or a selfish action that looks like fruit. The second reason for the statement is to remind us of who God is. What is God's character? God is sovereign over all that he created. He cannot be mocked. We cannot fool him or hide anything from him. We cannot behave one way and think differently in our hearts and minds. God is all-knowing, ever-present. He knows our thoughts and our intentions. God is the one who produces the fruit, so he knows good fruit from bad fruit. As an example, you can help an old lady cross the street over and over and over again. And on the outside, that might look like the Christian living. It might look like good fruit. It might look like the kind of things that people want to emulate, how kind and gracious and nice you are to sacrifice all that time to walk the old ladies across the street over and over again. But on the inside, if the intention of that on the inside is, look at me, look what I am doing, don't I deserve, God, your attention? 
Don't I deserve, God, your love? For I have done these amazing feats. I am deserving of your affection and your salvation. God knows that that is not real fruit. The third reason is to remind us of who, by nature, we are. What our sinful and natural character is. He says, do not be deceived. You see, we are easily deceived, aren't we, about the gospel. Look at the Galatians, who are so easily deceived by these false teachers. So much so that Paul had to write this very long letter to them. We can think, I think we do often, that, that God is not concerning himself with the little things. I mean, I'm better than that guy, right? Like, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't done all the big sins. So the little sins, eh, they're kind of on a relative scale, right? I'm, I'm sort of better than the big sin guys. I'm okay. I must be okay. Or another view might be God hates me. I mean, if, if he knew all that I have done, if he knew all my thoughts, he surely didn't send his son to die for me. I am too far, way too far gone. None of these are true. If we believe these things, indeed, we are deceived. Both of these things rest our salvation on us. God loves us and sent his only son to die for us. You know, we cannot actually be better than the other guy. For all of us, as the Bible says, has fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, everyone, including me, is not being who God created me to be. At times. And all of us, or I should say none of us, are outside his steadfast love. In believing we are good enough or even not good enough, we do mock God. We think that he does not, we think he is not who he says he is, all knowing, ever present, creator and sustainer of life. We think God is insufficient and he needs our help. We think that if I just try harder, God will love us. And of course, God will look and love me for all that I have done in the world. God, sorry, the idea here is that um, we do not deceive God is not to be mocked. The idea here, of course, is that God himself knows the heart of who we are. And he knows that that which is in our heart is that which will come out. And he goes on to finish that saying with, the, um, that for whoever one sow, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. The statement has twofold meaning. One is simple. It is a statement about farming. That is, whatever, you see, uh, whatever seed you put in the ground, 
That's what's going to come up. If you plant corn, you get corn. If you plant wheat, you get wheat. You reap or you get what you sow or plant. The principle is this. The results or the effect is what you would expect given the action or the cause. The meaning that Paul is using this well-known saying for, again, harkens us back to chapter 5, where he goes on to, uh, which he goes on to make in verse 8. For the one who sows his own flesh from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verses 7 and 8 spell out the logic of how we are to live in community. <clears throat> Meaning, to live for oneself. That is, to live without a restored relationship with Jesus Christ. Is to live in the flesh, apart from God. And it will bring the results that we should expect. The work of the flesh. If we plant corn, we get corn. If we plant our own sinful nature, we get corruption and death. But if we live as God's people in a restored relationship with Jesus, a restored relationship through faith in Jesus alone, trusting in Jesus for our hope, we will also get the results we would expect, the fruit of the Spirit. Indeed, to remind us, it is the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We plant, when we plant faith in Jesus alone, we get the life and peace and joy forever and ever. But how come this crop of life this crop of peace and joy doesn't always seem so rosy. Why is it that it seems Jesus promised us a rose garden? Indeed, he did. But we must be patient and wait for it to come in. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. Life is hard, isn't it? Any farmer knows that after the crop is put in the ground, much, need, much needs to be done to take care of it. The crop needs tending and care to come up healthy. That's the goal. The goal is a flourishing and healthy crop. It might need fertilizer. Which, by the way, in old times, that meant, you know. But today, the same, is, the same is true. It might need controlling of the pests. It might, might need more water or less water. But the suffering of the crop often brings the best results. For some of you, you might know that I like wine. And what's fascinating about the grape 
in the production of wine is the best wines in the world come from grapes that have suffered greatly. Seems odd. It seems that grapes that are taken care of and loved on well and gotten all the best waters and all the best nutrients and all the best sun and all the best this and all the best that would produce the best grapes. But the truth of the matter is, when a grape suffers, when a grape doesn't get quite enough water or it's a little too cold or it's a little too hot, the harvest of that grape produces the best juice. That juice is sweet and rich, and it can be used to make some of the best wines in the world. We are like that. But make no mistake, whatever crop is put in the ground is the one that comes out of the ground in due season. Paul is saying, don't grow weary of living for Jesus in due season because in God's timing, the fullness of the fruit will come. It will come. Now, don't get lost in this metaphor. God is the farmer, not us. He is the one who will bring forth the fruit in its proper time. He is the one who will water when needed or fertilize when needed or destroy the pests when needed. But that which is planted in us or whatever is sown, flesh or spirit, it indeed will be reaped. It indeed will come to be seen. But to what end? What is the purpose? We see ourselves flourishing, flourishing in God's word and the spirit that he is leading us with. But to what end? To what is the purpose of that? And Paul gives a very specific understanding of that in verse 10. So then, as we have had opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Every crop that the farmer plants has purpose. Corn is for eating, or for today's gasoline. Wheat is for bread. Soybean is for all kinds of things, if you look that up. Um, Grapes are for jelly or wine. In community, particularly in the community of Christian, the use that Paul has has in mind here is to do good with one another. One of the uses of the fruit of the Spirit is to love and serve one another, particularly in the household of faith or in community with Christians. There are many ways this happens, but in particular, I cannot help but to focus on this church. There are many, many places that we can love and serve one another right here. Youth group, children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, events team, parking team, life group leader. I could go on and on. There are so many ways 
And if you will allow me to be direct for a moment, in the four years that I have been here at UPC, I would dare say that it's rarely a week that goes by that someone on the staff isn't concerned with the idea they don't have enough volunteers. When I first got here, the very first meeting I had was on the idea of how are we going to talk to the congregation about getting engaged and involved in the ministries that we have. It hasn't really stopped in the four years I've been here. Meeting after meeting, discussion after discussion of I don't have enough people to do all the things that I would like to do. Don't misunderstand the first part of verse 10. This idea of opportunity that he says. It, it, it sort of reads like opportunity might be whatever it feels like or whenever you get around to it. It's more like whenever you can. Said differently, Paul is likely remembering an Old Testament passage. Proverbs 3.27. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. The purpose of a Christian is to love and to serve one another. This church, UPC, has been around for many, many years. And many of you have been around this church for many, many years. And you have served diligently in lots of places. And I am delighted and I thank you for all of your service. But to those who have served, don't stop. As Paul says here, don't grow weary of doing good. Keep going. You have a remarkable amount of experience and skills that you can bring to, to bear here while bearing one another's burdens. Keep serving. Find new ways of serving. Love your brothers and sisters and serve them. Do good. Do good to them and with them. To those who are new, or newer, jump in with both feet. Just dive on in. We are excited and glad that you are here. And we want to see you love and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have lots of ideas and lots of places that can use the gifts and skills that God has indeed given you. To those who are here and have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. First of all, welcome. As Stephen said, we are delighted that you are here. We are delighted that you are here to question and to learn and to begin to understand. Thank you for exploring with us. Ask as many questions as you can. Seek to know God for who he is and how he loves you. But I hope, what I really hope for you, is that we will serve you well. 
that we might show you this God that has changed our very lives. That as you begin to seek who he is that you see in us, living out in us the fruit of the Spirit, that you might know who Jesus Christ is because of the way in which we, those who know him, love and serve one another, love and serve everyone whom God brings us into community with. I pray, I pray that as you sit here this morning, you are thinking of places and areas that you can serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it encourages us, but also, Father, how it pulls us out of our comfort zone, how it, it drives us to places we'd really rather not go if we're honest. It gets us off our seats and onto our feet. And it drives us to love one another when so often it feels we don't wish to. Because, Father, you loved us first. Before we ever loved you, you loved us. And so we seek to love and to serve our brothers and sisters and to all who wish to know you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.